If you turn to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, and as you are turning there, I was going to tell you something that you did that you may not even know that you did. Um, most of you, if not all of you, are aware of my friend Joel Tigreen. You prayed for him. You gave thousands of dollars um, to his family as, they, as he battled cancer. Over the past year, he passed away a few weeks ago. But one of the things that you also did through your regular giving is you funded the publication of three different books into Turkish. He had a publishing house going over there in Turkey and was translating certain books into Turkish. And um, there were two that were complete. One's in process still and will be completed. And your money paid to translate that and to publish that um, through your missions giving to the local church here. And one of those books that he uh, had translated, he gave me, I went over to see him the week before he passed away, and he gave me a copy of one of those books, and I can't read what's on the front because that's in Turkish, but they have it in English too. And it's called The Pursuit of Glory by Jeffrey Johnson. And I finished reading this yesterday and realized how much of a blessing this book would be to all of us. So this summer, one of the things we're going to challenge you to do is to gather up your D group, small group, create you a home group, however you want to do it like you have done in the past, and um, read through this book, The Pursuit of Glory, over the summer. And we've already ordered some of those. You'll hear more about that next week. But just wanted you to be aware of your giving, what it's accomplishing, and then you can be a part and read that and discuss it. I know that it's going to, it's going to give you a new perspective on what it means to pursue Christ and to know, know Christ and what he does in our lives. Luke chapter 18, we're going to begin in verse number 9, right where we left off. Some of you are wondering if we are ever going to get through with Luke. Well, if you've ever had a horse, you'll know as long as you're riding that horse away from the barn, everything is usually okay. But when you turn that horse back to the barn, he starts trotting, and the closer he gets to the barn, he starts wanting to gallop, and the closer he gets to the barn, he wants to get into a full sprint to go back home. And that's kind of how I am when I'm preaching through a book. So you'll notice when we get to the end of Luke, we're probably going to pick up the pace a good bit. And we're going to hit 22, 23, 24 um, like there's no tomorrow. But right now, Jesus has given us bite-sized pieces. And we just have to look at them as he gives them to us. And this morning, Luke 18, verses 9 through 17 is a portion of Scripture we're going to see. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, he also told this parable to some... People who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted Verse 15, and they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them saying, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. 
Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Have you ever wondered how two people can sit in the same building, listen to the same sermon, one of them walk out the door, shake the preacher's hand, and say, that was such a great sermon, it really moved me, it really touched me. And then someone else in the line behind that same person in the same building that listened to the same sermon can walk out and scowl at the pastor and just wonder why he's not more of a loving person. You ever wondered how two people can be sitting in the same room and hear the same gospel and one of those people be brought to repentance and faith and a transformed life and the other one walk out, carry on life as normal? Just what is the difference? We think we see it in this passage of Scripture this morning that we just read. Notice, we're going to see how that plays together at the end, but I want you to notice why Jesus tells this parable. He, he does this a little bit differently. You know, usually he'll tell us the parable, then we wonder, what on earth is he talking about? Thankfully, he explains it to us. Then we get it. Well, here, Jesus says up front, let me tell you what this parable is about. Let me give you the introduction. The introduction is, this parable is for people who think they are the cat's meow, And everybody else around them is lesser when it comes to spiritual things. Listen to verse number 9. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So we have the answer right here. This parable is for people who will walk through the great white columns of First Baptist Church, dressed to a T, hair fixed freshly from the beauty shop, makeup just so, King James Version Bible under their arm, hymn book under their left arm, come sit down, sing the songs, play the part, look the part, and know they the part. I mean, if Jesus is glad anybody showed up for church this morning, it's that person. They're the ones. And you all smirking and thinking, like, yeah, right. Well, I mean, we're all tempted, aren't we? But it's not just those who, who come in thinking they've got it all together. You know, I've been the Christian this week. I've read my daily bread every morning. I've listened to David Jeremiah. Some of you are giggling because every last living one of you listens to David Jeremiah. I've learned that since I've been here. It's like everybody listens to David Jeremiah. I've listened to David Jeremiah. I've read my daily bread. I've said my prayers. I've read a chapter of the Bible. I've got my tithe check in my hand. I mean, what's not to love, right? So that's one side of the coin. This, this is for the people who think they've got it all together. But then, not only the ones who think they have it all together, but they also look at those around them with a judgmental attitude. Look at those around them just wondering why you can't get it together. Why you are the way you are. Why can't you just be better like me? That's the context of this parable. He's talking to church people. Then in verse 10, we get into the parable, and here's what we see. We see there's two people. Two men, verse 10, went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So we've got two people in this parable. The first one 
is what Jesus calls a Pharisee. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the Pharisees, right? We've talked about the Pharisees as we've walked through the Gospel of Luke. If you've read the Bible at all, you know about the Pharisees. The word Pharisee literally means separate ones. When a Pharisee came walking down the street, everybody knew this guy, he stands out. This guy, he's above and beyond the call of duty. This guy, he's a real, real holier than thou. This guy, he's got it all together. He is a separate one. And this Pharisee here in his prayer even testifies to that reality when he says, hey, I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. And I sure ain't a tax collector. And notice that Jesus in the parable doesn't say he falsely claimed not to be a swindler. He falsely claimed not to be unjust. He falsely claimed not to be an adulterer. He falsely claimed not to be as bad as a tax collector. Jesus didn't put any caveat on it. It's like, yeah, this guy, he's not a swindler. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. He's a real religious guy. He is really separate. These Pharisees were some of the most religious people of the day. According to his own testimony and what we see in this parable, he was a temple goer. He was faithful to pray. He was faithful to fast and even to tithe. This was a good man. This is the man we would look out and say, let's make this guy a deacon. Let's make this guy a Sunday school teacher. These are the kind of men we need on board. That's the Pharisee. The other guy that goes up to the temple to pray is a tax collector. Now, we're not talking about tax assessor in the courthouse behind a glass who takes your property taxes. We're talking about a tax collector in first century Israel that used their money to buy a franchise from the enemy army, the enemy government, the invading army, the Romans, in order to tax their brothers and sisters, their brethren, the Jews, in order to tax them in order to give that money to their enemies, the Romans, who would then use that money, who would then use that money to pressure them, to contain them, to mistreat them, to abuse them. So here's a guy, let's just put this in context. An enemy army invades Tennessee, takes over the state, sets up their rule and their reign and makes your life miserable. Your buddy goes to that invading army shakes hands with them, signs a contract, then comes and knocks on your door and says, I am going to charge you taxes on behalf of the invading army. I want you to give me the tax money, which is extremely high. Give me the tax money. Then this person goes, your used-to-be friend, takes this money, gives it to the invading army in order to make your life more miserable. That's what a tax collector was. On top of that, these tax collectors would bring the bill from Rome and they would usually add something to it, as we're going to see in a few weeks when we get to Zacchaeus, that wee little man. They would add something to it and they would put some in their pocket and give what they were supposed to give to Rome. So these guys were rich and they were rich from leeching off of their fellow Jews and being part of their abuse, they were the most hated people in Israel. They were the most hated people in Israel. They were traitors. And they were in the eyes of the people the farthest from God. The farthest from God. Farther than adulterers. 
farther than even Gentiles, the tax collectors, unsavable. So we've got two totally opposite people who go up to the temple to pray. One is the Pharisee, one the tax collector. We not only see two people, but we see two postures. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, don't let the fact that they're standing confuse you when we're talking about posture. Because we're not talking about outside posture. We're talking about inside posture. It was normal for a first century Jew to stand to pray. They didn't get on their knees. They stood. They raised their hands to heaven. And they prayed. That's how... The Jews prayed in first century. When the Pharisees would stand on the street corner and pray so that everyone would see and hear, they would stand, they would raise their hands to heaven, and they would pray. This Pharisee is doing nothing abnormal. He goes into the temple. He stands probably as close to the holy place as he can get. And he raises his hands to heaven, and he prays his prayer. The problem is not he's standing on the outside. The problem is he's standing on the inside. He's standing up on the inside. He is standing tall on the inside. God, I thank you I'm not like these swindlers. I thank you that I'm not unjust. I thank you, God, that I am not an adulterer. And thank you above all, Lord, that I'm not like this tax collector standing over here. I am in this temple. Lord, I pray faithfully. I fast faithfully. I give tithes faithfully. God, thank you for making me such a blessing to society. Amen. He's standing on the inside. Have you heard the story about the little boy who's just disobeying and his mom said, you're going to sit down in this corner until you get your act together? He said, I'm not sitting down. So she pulls out a belt. So belt is what you use to spank children with. I know we're in the 21st century, so I need to explain this to, to you. you know, if your kids, when that belt comes off, zip, if they scatter, they know what that means. If they just look, like, Dad must be changing. We need to have a conversation. So he, he, this mom snatched her belt off in honor of Mother's Day, and she wore him out until his little legs were red, and he sat down in that chair. And as his mom was walking away, he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. (laughs) This Pharisee was standing up on the inside. Then the tax collector, he stands far off. He's, He's probably far away from the holy place. He's standing, too, on the outside. But he's not sitting on the inside. He is lying in dust and ashes. And he beats upon his chest and he says, God, be merciful to me, the guy he's talking about. Be merciful to me, the sinner. He cries out to God. He he won't even lift his eyes to heaven. He won't even lift his hands to heaven. He hangs his head. He beats his chest. He cries out to God. Two people, not only opposites, But their postures are polar opposite as well, even though they're both standing. Do you see that? And then we see two prayers. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I 
I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. You notice something there? He's got an eye infection. Five times he says I. The only time he refers to God is when he thanks God that he's good. Not that God's good, but that he's good. He asks nothing from God. He seeks nothing from God. He needs nothing from God in his mind. We have to wonder if this guy is even talking to God. In fact, Jesus begins in verse number 11. He says, the Pharisee was praying this to himself. He's not even praying to God. He's praying to himself. That's how good he is. Verse 13, the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. There are no these, there are no vows, there's no deep theological dissertations, there was no eloquence, there's no argument, there's no appeals, there's no justification, there's no excuses, there's just a cry from the heart. God, have mercy on me. We got the Pharisee, we got the tax collector. We got one standing on the inside, we've got one lying in the dust on the inside. We've got one praying to himself, I, 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 and we've got one who won't even look up and he's just pleading for mercy. And there's two results. There's two results in verse 14. I tell you, Jesus now, Jesus says this, I tell you, this man... Referring to the tax collector. This man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That doesn't sound off kilter to us much, but let's transport ourselves back to first century Jerusalem and realize that what Jesus just said was absolutely outrageous to his audience. You mean, Jesus, to tell me that this man who prays, this man who tithes, this man who fasts, this man who was holy and righteous and good in what he did, this man who was a Pharisee went home and he was in worse shape than the guy who came in a filthy sinner, a tax collector of all things this is the reverse of everything the Jews believed and everything their religious leaders taught them to say that a self-confessed wicked man left the temple ground justified rather than a self-confessed righteous man is to completely overturn their religious thinking it flipped their brains upside down After all, the psalmist said in Psalm 24, 3 and 4, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Isn't that what the Pharisee just said he did? And Jesus said he went home full of dead men's bones? This pronouncement by Jesus totally turned their understanding upside down and maybe it's turning ours upside down too. Some of you know the right answers and you get the old head nod. But you need to be reminded, friend, yet again, that on the best day of the best week, of the best month, of the best year of your entire life, 
you have nothing good to bring to the table. You take your very best, the best you have to offer, the best track record you've ever been able to pull together, and you are not worthy to enter His presence in prayer, much less expect Him to hear you, much less expect Him to answer you. And on the worst day of the worst week, of the worst month, of the worst year of your life, you can boldly approach His throne of grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's not about who you are. It's about who He is and what He has done. And we don't grasp this well. That's why when we've had a good week and we've been in our daily bread every morning and we've watched David Jeremiah and we got our tithe check cut and we got dressed on time and our hair's all fixed up and our Bible's under our arm, we walk in with our head held high and we just know that God's going to hear our worship. But on a week when, when our Saturday has fallen apart and we've stumbled all over our own two feet and fallen flat of our face and falling into sin, falling into sin, we walk through those doors with our head hung low like Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes from God, letting Him have a cool down time. Because we think suddenly that it is about how we perform. Say it ain't so. That's why some of you We'll pray for something. And you just feel like if the pastor would pray for that, or a, or a minister would pray for that, that things would get better. Because we got some kind of inside scoop, you know, that y'all don't have. There's one mediator between God and man, and his name is Christ Jesus. And you just as close to Jesus as I can get to Jesus. I just talk about it up here on Sunday. But we think, you know, if the holy man will pray, then God will hear. Which says, I must think he's better than I am, which shows you don't really know me well, but you can talk to Mandy after the service, she can fill you in, but, but I think he's better than me, so his prayers will get further than mine. Our prayers aren't based on us. They're based on him. Jesus drives this point home. This parable is for those who think their own righteousness and good works is going to get them brownie points in heaven while they look down their nose at everybody else around them who's not performing as well as they are. They're two polar opposites, and they end with opposite results. The Pharisee comes in self-righteous, squeaky clean on the outside, pressing everybody around him, and inwardly he leaves full of dead men's bones. The tax collector, who had so much to repent of, he couldn't even put it into words, went home still despised by the religious elite, but forgiven, clean, justified, and changed. Which one would you want to be? Now, without application, you know, Jesus is not just giving us stuff to read and talk about on Sunday. Jesus is teaching his disciples, right? He's teaching his disciples. So he gives them this lesson And then he says, let's see how you do, guys. Let's see how you do with the lesson. And that's what happens in verses 15 to 17. Jesus stands back. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking 
them. Now, why did the disciples begin rebuking them for bringing their babies and their children to Jesus? Because these babies and these children, you know, come on, Jesus. These are just babies. Jesus, these are just children. They're only little ones. You know what they're doing? They're saying, we're important. And we're looking down our nose at these kids. So they say, go away. You're not coming here. You're not important enough. But Jesus called for them saying, I just told you a parable, you knuckleheads, and you completely missed the point. That was the KIV version. But he says, permit the children. He says, no, permit the children to come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Do you hear what he just said? He just said, the kingdom of God belongs to tax collectors, not Pharisees. The kingdom of God belongs to little children, little babies, not you people who think you've got it all together. I have come not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And in verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, innocent, little, helpless, hopeless, unable to do anything on their own, unable to do anything on their own, will not receive it. Do you see that? Do you see how these two just like piggyback right off of each other and they totally missed it and we go, oh, how dumb can they be? And yet, how many times do we miss it? Like 49 times a day, right? On a good day? So let's think about this parable and let's think about this application and ask ourselves three questions this morning to help us determine which side of the fence we're sitting on. Are we the Pharisee, the righteous, self-righteous, holier-than-thou, look-down-our-nose kind of people? Or are we God-be-merciful-to-me people? Which side of the fence we're on? There's three questions we can ask to diagnose ourselves. You ready? Number one, are you looking totally away from yourself for your justification? Now, I know every one of us seasoned Baptists are going, that's right, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. We're not our head. Let's just, let's just put off the religious jargon here and the right answer the right answer response, and let's ask ourselves the question again. Are you looking totally away from yourself for your justification? Because here's what I hear from most Baptists. Well, I prayed a prayer when I was seven years old. I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was seven years old, and I prayed it from my heart of heart of hearts. I meant every last living word of it. I filled out the card to prove it, I got baptized, I walked down the aisle, I turned around and smiled at the congregation, and I joined the church. I have accepted Jesus, and I've made Him Lord of my life. I am living my life for Him. I am faithful to give to my local church. I'm faithful to attend my local church. I pray, I read my Bible. Do you notice something? That is exactly what the Pharisee would have said. So if your go-to response 
When someone asks you, are you a Christian? Are you born again? If your go-to response is, I did this and I did that and I responded this way and I prayed this way and I've done this and I've done that, you are totally missing it. And you're looking, you're looking at yourself for your justification rather than away from yourself for your justification. The only justification we have this morning is not what you do, but it's what Christ has already done. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the exact image and representation of the Father, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held onto, but He humbled Himself and He took on the form of a servant, born of a virgin, placed in a manger in Bethlehem to grow up and to live and to walk the dirty streets of Israel, to eat, to cry, to work, to sleep, to feel what a person feels, and to keep God's law perfectly as He did so. Jesus Christ came to this earth and He had God's checklist in His hand. The checklist that at the top said, perfection, holiness, righteousness, sinlessness. Jesus took that checklist and He checked every single solitary box on the checklist. And then He went to the cross. And there on the cross... Jesus took upon Himself your sin, my sin, our iniquity, our transgressions, and God the Father poured out His wrath on our sin in Jesus on the cross until Jesus said as God the Son, it is finished, it's been paid in full, debt is paid. And He was taken down from that cross and He was buried in a barred tomb and on Sunday morning He rose from the grave bodily victorious, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. And God the Father raised him up to say, I have received the checklist, and I have graded the checklist. And he gets an A+. And I have received the sacrifice. I have seen the blood that has been shed. And it is more than sufficient to cleanse you from all of your sin. And I approve of this sacrifice. And I resurrect him from the grave to show it to you that I approve and receive and accept this sacrifice as sufficient for your sin. And now, anyone under the sound of my voice who hears that good news and believes that good news, you can turn from your sin and you can throw yourself on the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ alone. And He will save Not because of who you are. Not because of the kind of family you grew up in. Not because of where you were fortunate enough to be born. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. Not because of what you've done. And you trying to dot all your I's and cross all of your T's, but because of what Christ has done. He's already crossed every T. He's already dotted every I. There is nothing left to be done. It's been done. Are you looking totally away from yourself for your justification? Are you still trying to hang on to a little bit of your self-righteousness? The Bible says that all of our self-righteousness, all of our good works are filthy, filthy rags. Some of you, listen, listen to me now. Faithful church member. Some of you don't need to repent of your sin this morning. To be saved. 
You are just squeaky clean like that Pharisee. Some of you need to repent of your self-righteousness. You repented of your sin a long time ago, but you've been doing it your way. You've been hanging on to your self-righteousness, your performance, your good works. And some of you this morning, in order to pass over from lostness to savedness, if that's even a word, from darkness to light, need to turn loose of and repent of your self-righteousness. And throw yourself on the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. You need to take a posture of wallowing in the dust over how wretched you've been. By spitting in the face of Jesus, thinking you can be good enough. Are you looking totally away from yourself for justification? Number two, are you looking at others more than you are looking in the mirror? We should never look at those. Here's what we do. We look at those in sin and we say, I'm so glad that they are so bad because that makes me feel so much better about myself. You ever notice that? I'll I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Abortion. Some ladies who've had abortions feel good when other ladies have abortions because it makes them feel better about theirs, makes it seem not as bad. Some of us, we hear somebody falling, crashing and burning in the ministry. And sometimes we pastors think, well, hey, I must, I must not be that bad, Right? And we see somebody else over here who leaves their husband. Well, I'm still staying with my knucklehead. Must mean I'm pretty good. And we see somebody over here fill in the blank. And we feel better about ourselves. We kind of like to see folks blowing it because that makes us feel better about ourselves. You see the problem there? Do you see the problem there? Forget, judge not, lest ye be judged. Let's talk about looking in the mirror and the standard being Christ, not the people around us. We we should never look at those in sin or who have fallen into sin or, or who are falling into sin with contempt or with joy because not a single one of us in this room is above stumbling and falling into any sin ourselves. And if you are sitting out there thinking, well, not me, you better look out. Satan will take the challenge, and he'll win. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If we're spending more time looking at the splinter in our brother's eye rather than at the log in our own eye, we will go home today without hope. How many of you know that person? They can spot the flaw in you. They can spot the flaw in you. They can see where you're falling short. They can point out everybody's shortcomings. And you just want to say, why don't you go look in the mirror and pull that big fat log out of your own eye? Don't you just want to say that? Maybe we'll make t-shirts. Go look in the mirror and pull the big fat log out of your own eye. I mean, really, if you're that person, the first thing you spot is a flaw. 
Don't call it perfectionism. Don't call it detailed. Don't call it, I'm just quality control. No, it's called you're not gracious and you think you're better than you are. And you're a Pharisee. Man, we ought to be looking in the mirror. Because you know, you know why we don't look in the mirror? Here's why I don't look in the mirror long. Because I'm ugly. I look in the mirror and I think there's not much I can do for this. Some of you don't like my beard. I'm just really covering up ugly. I can get a haircut and all it does is maximize the fact that I'm losing it. I mean, it just, I don't want to look long. You know, just let me make sure I'm halfway presentable and I'm out of here. And spiritually, when I go to looking in the mirror, immediately I see two or three things I don't like. But the longer I stare, the deeper it gets. And I don't like seeing that too much, do you? So we don't look in the mirror. We look over here at somebody worse than us and say, I feel better. I feel better now. That's not, that's not Christian flourishing, people. Christian flourishing is to look in the mirror. And listen, listen, don't lose me. Christian flourishing is to look in the mirror and see just how nasty you are and see how simple you are and how hopeless you are and how helpless you are and how wretched you are and how really when you get to the core you are worse than a lot of people you point your finger at but you keep looking in the mirror until you get deep enough that all you see is the face of Jesus because that's all that matters. And some of you haven't seen the face of Jesus because you haven't looked in the mirror long enough and got through the sin and got through the baggage and got through the guilt and got through the shame to peel away the layers of that onion till you get to the heart and that's where you find Jesus. Are you looking totally away from yourself for your justification? Are you looking at others more than you're looking in the mirror? And lastly, are you a repenting repenter? Are you a repenting repenter? Listen, Christian life, the Christian life is not I walk down the aisle and I repent and then I go on with my life. No, the Christian life is repentance. Martin Luther, when he nailed the 95 Thesis on the door, castle doors at Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517, number one problem with the Catholic Church, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That's what it said, number one. When Jesus Christ said repent, he meant our whole life should be a life of repentance. The Christian life is repentance. So we need to be a repenting repenter. Not just a one-time repenter, but a repeat repenter. We realize our sin. We realize new sins. We realize deeper sins. We feel remorse for our sins. We reject our sin. We go to war with our sin. John Calvin said repentance is not merely the start of the Christian life. Repentance is the Christian life. Are you a repenting repenter? How are you going to leave that? Are you going to leave like the publican, the tax collector? Have mercy with the smile of God? Are you going to leave like the Pharisee, squeaky clean on the outside with the smiles of all those around you, but inside full of dead people's bones? It'll largely rest on how you answer these three questions. Are you looking away from yourself, from yourself for justification? Are you looking at others more than you're looking in the mirror? Are you a repenting repenter? Would you bow?
with me for just a moment. Miss Lisa's going to come play softly as she plays softly. I want you to bow and just to go to the Lord in prayer. Andy's going to be standing over here to my left. Brett's going to be standing up here to my right. And if at any time in these next few moments you need someone to pray with you, pray for you, you come up and you just take Brett's hand, you take Andy's hand, you can come to this altar right now. It's your time to respond as the Lord would lead you to respond. And right where you are, I want you to pray and I want you to ask the Lord, show me God where and how I'm looking at myself and to myself and to my own self-righteousness and to my own good works for my assurance and for my justification. Would you just pray and ask God to show you? Would you pray right now and ask God to show you if you need to repent of your self-righteousness, your religiosity, something you've been hanging on to other than Christ, Maybe this morning you have heard the gospel clearly for the first time. And you know Christ has died for your sin. He has done the work that's necessary. And you need to receive that. You need someone to talk to you. You need someone to pray with you. Look, Andy's here. Brett's here. Step out now. Come take them by the hand. They'll be glad to talk with you, to pray with you. Look away from the world look away from the flesh look away from your good works look away from yourself and run to Jesus this morning maybe you can think of the flaws of a hundred people around you you can think of their shortcomings you can think of their failures you can pick it out in the crowd and you've prided yourself on quality control as a Christian This morning, you need to just stop and let God hold the mirror of His holiness up in front of you and show you the log that's in your own eye and your desperate need for Jesus. Would you just look in that mirror? Maybe it's been a long time since you repented of anything. Ask God to show you what you need to repent of this morning. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is He doing in you? What do you need to do this week? How do you need to respond this week to what you've heard this morning? Ask the Lord to show you. Listen, if there's one of you in this place who needs counsel or guidance or direction, Please don't leave here without seeing somebody. We'll be glad to point you to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the gospel. And that Jesus Christ has done it all. And that Jesus Christ has paid it all. And that we are recipients of that grace. And we are recipients of that mercy. And we are recipients of that free gift of eternal life. Help us to look away from ourselves and all of our religious baggage. Help us to look to Christ alone as our hope. Help us to gaze in the mirror and see the depth of our sin, but at the core, 
the beauty of Jesus who came to cleanse us from our sin. Help us to repent and be repenters. Because we need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your help. We need you. God, for those that may need counsel, those that may need guidance or direction or someone to point them to Jesus, give them the courage and the boldness to find somebody that they trust before they leave this place. God, we give you the glory and the praise for you alone are worthy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.